Okay, so the draft is over, which means our draft grades, our beloved draft grades, that no one poo-poos and everyone takes with an appropriate amount of seriousness, are in. This episode of the Pat's Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Uh, I'll tell you right off the top, the Patriots draft, 12-member class, got a B for me, a very solid B, closer to a B plus than a B minus. And today in the podcast, we're going to run down every single draft pick, the grade I gave for every single draft pick, and why overall this draft class is probably better than you think. Because I tried to take a poll last night on Twitter, gave my instant gut reaction, went B slash B minus, asked around. Consensus was in the same range, but I've since come around a little bit in having some conversations with people uh, closer to the team and around the league about the picks they made and the class they built and what the team looks like now. Because as Bill Belichick said at a coaching clinic, I went to a couple of weeks ago and wrote this long story about once the draft is over, you've got your team. So that's the significance of this is not only adding talent, but really taking the last steps to build your 2023 team. Now for the folks who are in the draft grades are stupid camp. First of all, it's good to see you. I used to live there, kept warm by the same fire, uh, ate the same food. I will say this. First of all, I get where you're coming from. It's true that none of us, knows what's going to happen or how good these players are going to be on these teams for probably two to three to maybe four years. However, the draft grades in the media are not all that different from the draft grades on the boards of every single team in the NFL. All these grades are, these evaluations, are based on information that we have right now, okay? Based on information about the players that they took, the players that the Patriots passed up on with the talent available to them in their current roster construction. No one can tell the future, obviously. Teams, media, fans, all we're doing is making judgments based on the information we have. It's the same way the Patriots built their draft board, digging up information on these players, making judgments about that, and moving forward. Just because I agree or disagree with a certain amount of Patriots draft picks doesn't make me right or wrong. It just makes me like every other single team in the league that had different approach to the draft and different grades on these players. So, yeah, we could wait three or four years and say, oh, Nikhil Harry sucked. That was a bust. Hey, Kyle Duggar, that was a pretty good pick, but there's no value in that. And frankly, that podcast sucks, okay? So we see a snapshot of this draft class and our opinion and what the Patriots did in the moment because they made these picks in the moment without knowing what's going to happen. They might have more information, and they definitely do, but there's enough here to say, how did the Patriots do with each pick? How do they do with their draft classes overall? As I said, I gave it a BB+. And we'll run down each of those right now. Now, next week, uh, I'll tell you, midweek, we're going to have the Ringers' Danny Kelly on to take a deeper dive into some of the earlier picks. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Christian Gonzalez, uh, Marte Mapu, or Keon White, their top three picks. Danny will walk us through it. We'll look ahead to the team after that. Danny's awesome, does a tremendous amount of research really coming up. And what's a real, like, saturated industry now with everyone who becomes a draft expert. And then after this, we have a mega mailbag. I tried to answer, I think it was close to a dozen questions on Twitter because I appreciate everyone who has read my stuff, listened to this podcast, interacted on Twitter. And so now that the hay is in the barn, as they say, um, you get a say on whether it's good or it's bad or the things you still want to know. So if I didn't get to your question on Twitter, it's because I don't have an answer. So silence, therefore, is best. Um, but everyone else, you'll have your questions answered here on the pod. Okay, let's run down these picks. Let's hand out some greats. Christian Gonzalez, love the pick. No question about it. We've talked about this. 
uh, or you've heard people talk about it in different spaces. The Patriots were at 14. They moved back to 17th overall, picked up a fourth round pick along the way and got the guy that they were targeting anywhere. Christian Gonzalez was a consensus top 10 player on every expert's boards. His testing numbers make it look like he was a cornerback built in the lab. 6'2", 199 pounds, fluid change of direction. He's long, he's fast, he's got 4'3 speed, and played a lot of press coverage, which you don't see a whole lot in college. And so he was a guy, honestly, that I didn't spend a whole lot of time on during the draft. It really was only the last couple of weeks because everything I had heard was this guy's going to go in the top 10. He'll be out of reach of the Patriots. Yeah, it's a position of need, and he's a talent. But once he started, not to slip, but there was a possibility that he could maybe be in the early teens, around 10 or 12 or perhaps 14, I watched the tape. And I said this on uh, Brian Barrett's pod on The Ringer. Fiance recently got me into Love is Blind. That show is a lot of talking and hearing in another person. Do you fall in love? And if not, you propose. Or if you do, you propose. You get 30 days and you make a decision whether or not you want to marry that person. Okay. All the things I heard about Christian Gonzalez, I was falling in love. And then when I watched the tape, our 30-day stint living together, uh, I was ready to go to the altar for the Patriots. The Patriots obviously did that. I think it was a great pick. And so... You know, between the Stanford tape I saw, Colorado, the Georgia game was so-so. Questions about him were tackling and ball skills. Both of those improved last season. No question about it. Position of need, best available player. They knocked this out of the park. Bigger questions came in the second round. Okay, you heard it here in this podcast. The Patriots had traded up five straight years in the second round. Guys slide out of the first into the early second. They see value. Christian Barmore, last year Taekwon Thornton, move up. And they go get those players. Tack one Thornton, obviously not projected first round pick, but you get the idea. Keon White, in some spaces, was a projected first round pick. And from what we heard from Bill Belichick on Friday night, was a player they actually considered at 17 in a group with Christian Gonzalez, which made them comfortable, not only knowing what Washington was going to do, which is just another sign of just what an outstanding organization that is down there. Uh, but the Jets weren't going to take a corner. So even if Christian Gonzalez was taken by some mystery team that traded up, they could have taken Keon White. Turns out they got Keon White anyway. Six foot five, 285 pounds, another freak athlete. I've come around on him, even though he's 24 and only had real one full season of starting experience because A, he plays a premium position. If you're going to take a player high, make it a pass rusher, a corner, an offensive tackle, Okay. He'll have a role early on amplifying the pass rush that's going to define this Patriots defense already between Judon, Uche, and Barmore, okay? And long-term, because of his traits and his experience and ability to set the edge against the run, he could very well anchor this defense opposite Matt Judon in 2024 when Judon will be in a contract here like Uche is right now. So this is a guy that Daniel Jeremiah had in his top 10 in the early part of the draft process said look like a future Patriot when my colleague Karen Gregan asked him that in February in a conference call. Mike Mel Kuyper Jr. had him top 30. My evaluations relative to them, tiebreaker goes to the long-term draft analysts who have done that for a while. I am in on Keon White because of his position, his athletic traits, where he can make up for mistakes in the same way that Christian Gonzalez does with his makeup speed. He loses off the line. He can catch up. Okay, Keon White's out of the wrong gap. He's got the strength and the speed to make up for that. And you consider this dude is into real estate and his words all about business. And then you see his reaction, the stone face of getting drafted to the NFL. All the cliches about time to work, ready to work, let's get to work. Like that, that's this kid. Okay. There's a reason the Patriots had a first round grade on him. I've come around. He gets a B. 
down from Christian Gonzalez's A, but still a solid pick. The only question, of course, is opportunity cost, which is the theme of their third pick, Marte Mapu. This was the first pick that I told you last week the Patriots would make. Now, I thought it would happen in the fourth round. Marte Mapu is a Sacramento State player who is like a hybrid safety um, linebacker who played a ton in space, six foot three, 221 pounds. The reason I mentioned Mapu is actually because I heard something at the combine that Bill loved him. Now, again, I'm not here. I, I'll admit, I sound like a jerk saying that. Oh, I heard this back then, but that I didn't tell you for two months. Part of the job is filtering information. Good from bad, right from wrong. What can I confirm? Two people say it independently. I'm running with it. Not a problem. Okay. But once I took Mapu and I texted someone within the team, text I got back was Bill loves him. That's what I heard in February. I tweeted it out. This was a Bill Belichick pick. And not because it surprised you or it was a position they didn't necessarily need. It's because when you watch this guy on tape, he is freaking ferocious. Okay. The analogy I made recently is he is that small dog that barks its head off thinking it's an actual German shepherd. Well, Mapu, even as a linebacker, 221 pounds, is that German shepherd. He is an animal against run game. He's incredibly instinctive, lives in the film room, can one run with running backs in tight ends. Does he have a clear role now? No. Kyle Duggar is here. He's in a contract here. He's a player the Patriots should want to re-sign. Adrian Phillips, Jabril Peppers, that are under contract through 2024. Jalen Mills just moved back to safety. He's in the last year of his deal, but you get the point. Right now, Mapu looks like a player who's probably going to be a core special teamer, okay? And the Patriots made this pick at 76 overall when there were still some offensive tackles or tight ends still available. Now, Mike Reese of ESPN reported that the Patriots at least made some calls to explore trading out of the pick. Now you know why, because apparently they didn't like those players at the positions of need or other premium positions, so they go with Bill's guy. I love Mapu's tape. Daniel Jeremiah, again, tiebreaker goes to the draft analyst, right? Said it was his favorite player in the class. And Daniel, if anything, is going to shoot you straight and he's going to have his homework done. So I would trust in that. But again, in projecting his role, there's a, there's a whiff of Mapu I get where he might be a better player in theory than in practice. We talked about this with Johnu Smith. He can run block. He's good after the catch. He can pass block, you know, split him out wide, all these different things. Okay, where does he win? What is his defining trait or traits? Mapo's really good all around. He didn't get to test because his tore his pec and he wasn't invited to the NFL combine. And that pec injury prevented him from working out at his pro day. I just love the tape so much. And I hear from people who love him. I think he's going to be a good player. It just might be a while before he shows it in New England. Meanwhile, they still have no tight ends under contract past this season. In their offensive tackle depth, they like a lot better than we do. We'll get into that later, but doesn't have a long-term plan, even with the players they have right now, who you might find two starters out of the four that they re-signed or signed in free agency. So he got a C, first C for me. Um, okay, while we're on the topic, why no offensive tackle or tight end with the first three picks? Bill said that's just the way the draft board fell. We talked to him Friday night. Matt Crow, I asked him Saturday, no tight ends at all. He said, we like some guys. They went early. The answer to that, or the counter to that, would be you could have traded up. And I mapped out Friday, before rounds two and three, how the Patriots with the 46 overall pick could pair a couple different combinations of their four fourth-round picks and move up, using only two of those to get to 32, 33, 34, 35, by all these modern trade value charts 
Okay, they're the updated version of the Jimmy Johnson chart that we've all heard so much about, but not a lot of teams use anymore. Patriots didn't do that. They sat and waited. Keon White was a first-round grade. You can't blame him, but maybe they should have moved up from their third-round pick, a place where they wanted to move back because all the players ahead of them that they wanted were taken. So I think overall, tight end, they waited too long. Offensive tackle, though, and Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, friend of the podcast, has said this. The Patriots thought this offensive tackle class kind of sucked. <laughs> I think they're right after the first four picks, which is why I was on the offensive tackle train for so long. Darnell Wright, Darnell Wright, Darnell Wright, maybe Roderick Jones, who didn't fit the, the prototype for the Patriots in the first round. They play it safe. Jones started one year, super young. Some maturity questions. Okay. But after that, massive drop-off. Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse went early second round. I don't think his tape is very good. There's some other players in there. Tyler Steen out of Alabama. Early third round, Patriots could have traded up. I just think they did their work ahead of time in free agency and said, let's sign Calvin Anderson. Let's get Riley Reek. Let's bring back Connor McDermott. Out of those three guys with Trent Brown, we'll have two starters because they looked at the draft and said, it's not it. This is not for us. Okay. On to the fourth round. So all these picks came in on Saturday. The Patriots started number 107 overall. Again, did not trade up. Multiple teams traded up to get to the top of the fourth round, including the Saints, who took an offensive tackle. Nick, I always mispronounce his name, so I'm not going to say it. Tackle, developmental prospect at Old Dominion. Uh, he went first. Trade the Patriots could have made? Possibly. We won't know. Instead, they took Jake Andrews, a center-slash-guard at Detroit, where he was coached under former Patriots assistant Cole Popovich, who left the team uh, ahead of the 2021 season because he didn't want to get vaccinated. This pick because Andrews was a projected sixth or seventh rounder and because he did not test well athletically, got a C minus for me. Okay. I get there's a long-term need. David Andrews is going to turn 31 later this year, uh, but he's under contract for two more years. Mike Onwenu, he's in a contract year, but the opportunity cost of taking an interior lineman here when you had pit offense tackle Carter Warren experienced good pass protector, Cincinnati receiver, Tyler Scott, who did go much later. Okay. Felt like it was too much to take an interior lineman. Forgetting the fact that they get a couple more later. But moving on. Again, four fourth-round picks. Ends up being three. They trade up. Kicker of the future, Chad Ryland from Maryland. I had him in a my second seven-round mock draft. Monster leg. He gets a B from me. Nick Folks, lack of leg strength, cost him towards the end of last season. He'll turn 39 this November. As steady as he's been. And honestly, one of the best players in the Patriots you can't count on a guy who's having trouble and actually hit the crossbar. I can't remember if it was from 46 or 48 yards last December in games that are going to determine whether you make the playoffs or miss them. They have a lot of faith in Ryland. She takes a very analytical and professional approach to the game from what I understand. As Zach Cox and Nessa noted, highest Patriot, highest drafted Patriot specialist ever under Bill Belichick. So they love him. We'll see if it pans out. Only question is, if, could they have him later? It seems like after Jake Moody from Michigan, Went in the third round, the rare third round kicker. Ryland was far and away the best prospect they had. I don't mind making the move to go get him, and they did. Okay, last third, uh, fourth round pick because then they trade back. Eastern Michigan offensive lineman, City Sal. He is 6'4", 323. Unbelievable background story. We're not going to get into it now. I gave him a B minus. Okay, Ryland with a B, B minus here for Sal. One of the oldest players in the draft. He does have some experience at left tackle, but it goes back to 2018. I'm not counting on the Patriots doing anything more than giving him, you know, a few days or maybe a few reps at left tackle where they still need some long-term depth. Um, he tested very well. One of the strongest players in this class, close to 30 reps 
on the bench press, outstanding broad jump, outstanding vertical jump. Six-year player, though, in college says to me, in addition to his age, there might not be a whole lot of development left to do here. Um, but at least he gives you the traits. And there's an immediate fit of a guy who can play left guard, maybe left tackle, and probably makes a team given, again, they took him about the middle of the fourth round. On to the fifth, another C. This goes to Antonio Maffi, who is in our uh, final Patriots seven-round mock draft at a UCLA, 6'3", 329. Dude is a mauler. Like, you can tell right away watching his film, he used to play defensive tackle. Flipped offense in 2020. He's an ascending player. There's a clear fit here. He could be the best player out of Sal and Jake Andrews, but it just felt so redundant. Like, how little faith did the Patriots have that they took three interior offensive linemen with three starters already entrenched, Cole Strange under contract through at least 2025. I told you Andrews is through 2024. Mike Onwenu is arguably your best offensive player, if not definitely top three, probably top two. He's in a contract year. You could re-sign him. And then you have Chasen Hines, who seems like he might be out the door. Six-round pick last year doesn't mean a whole lot. Cody Russi's in the mix there. But between the two earlier picks and now Mafi, I think could be a really good player. It just felt redundant. And again, this is where you get into the opportunity cost of not taking a receiver or a tight end or a flyer on an offensive tackle that you could develop at this point because you went with a third interior offensive lineman. That's what he got to see. On to the sixth round. Finally, a receiver. Kayshawn Boutte, uh, Booty. Ex <laughs> excuse me. I need to get on Bob Sosi, the play-by-play -play guy, to make it's a booty call for the first touchdown that Kayshawn scores in the preseason because I would bet almost anything he's going to score. Kids 5'11", 195. This grade got an A minus for me. Booty was the number two receiver in his recruiting class coming out of high school, goes to LSU, freshman All-American in 2020, gets to 100 catches at LSU, faster than any receiver to ever come through there. That includes Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Odell Beckham Jr. But, and there is a, <laughs> with Booty, a big but, uh, effort issues, clashes with the coaches, okay? A guy who is not as invested. Now, Brian Kelly supposedly told Todd McShay that he came around at the start of last season when he finished uh, with under 600 yards, had 48 catches, and just two touchdowns after leading LSU and receiving each of the previous two seasons. But he also tested poorly at the combine. Maybe that was a result of recovering from a broken bone in his ankle, but he had a 4.5 in the 40. His three cone was 7.14, which is slow for a receiver of his size. The good news is the talent there the raw talent is someone who's projected as a potential first round pick as recently as last summer is still there. And he's not the big man on campus anymore. This is a six round pick where the Patriots go. We don't need you. Okay. We bought low on you. You have to do what we say. We've got four receivers at the top. We can roll with. You might be as talented as any one of them, but if you want to show that you've got to do what we say. Now, the Patriots don't know if he's going to buy in. I texted a couple people. One responded and said, I, we don't know. But at this point, it's worth the flyer. And that's the thing about the sixth round. We're not grading this as harshly or as important because the resources involved in a sixth-round pick are so much smaller than a first-round pick. Okay, The opportunity cost is much lower. But the reward here is huge for a kid who is naturally gifted, probably had his testing numbers depressed and depressed his own draft stock because of the way he acted last year. So if... The Patriots miss on booty, whatever. He's another six-round pick that you just cut. But if you hit, he was the most talented player with probably the most upside available at 187. You take that guy every time. All right, we went long there. Number 192, Michigan State punter Bryce Beringer. Uh, he got a B. He's a punter. He's got a huge leg. Averaged 49 yards per punt last year. 
punter of the year in the Big Ten, a conference that loves their punters more than any other in the country. That's a solid B. fact that he played in cold weather is a big bonus. Uh, finishing out, or no, we're into the middle of the sixth round here. Liberty receiver Demario Douglas, another pick. We talked about it last week. Five foot nine, 179 pounds, jitterbug in space, no brainer pick. He gets an A for me. Undersized slot, uh, played up to his competition against Arkansas and Wake Forest. This is a guy who every team playing Liberty knew was going to get the ball. More defensive attention, more targets. His efficiency did not change per game, per catch. He can break tackles. He's very good in the open space. I don't know if he makes a team, but I think this is the player that you take. And the Patriots knew for meeting with him at the East West Shrine Bowl. Very good pick at 210 overall. 214, though, I wasn't as high. Amir Speed, guy who's going to turn 25 in June, uh, is a Michigan State cornerback, aptly named 6'3", 209, ran a 4'3 at his pro day. He was a transfer from Georgia, spent five years at Georgia, just got buried on the depth chart. Okay, His only pass breakup at Georgia was in his first year in 2017 and 2018. You can do the math. I'm going to keep going. Last year starts for the Spartans, five pass breakups. Okay. So when you look at a guy who's 6'3 and runs a 4'3, has decent quickness, there are only a couple of things that can overshadow that. One of which is zero career interceptions. And another is six career pass breakups over a six-year career in college. I don't expect him to contribute on defense. He got very good coaching at Georgia. And couldn't do much with it. There's not shame in that. He was a three-star recruit. That is a five-star recruit, you know, factory there in Georgia. And future NFL draft pick factory at Georgia. But it just feels like with his age, there's not a lot of development left there. And so he'll be a special teams player. If he makes it, I wouldn't be so high on that at all. On to the last pick. Speaking of special teams, Jackson State cornerback Isaiah Bolden. The last pick that we nailed uh, on the mock draft, 6'2", 201. Grade is an A. Okay, this dude was arguably the best returner in college football two years ago. 36.9 yards per return, two touchdowns taken back from 94 and 91 yards away. He's a classic developmental prospect, even though he's only a one-year starter at that level. Uh, only prospect from an HBCU uh, taken in the entire draft, as Deion Sanders made everyone aware, uh, I believe today or late last night. Bolden is a the guy they took in a, a top 30 visit. That investment which they took six players who came to them on visits in this draft said a lot to me. I think between the four, three speed, the return ability, the fact that he should have time behind this depth chart that now has Christian Gonzalez at the top with Jonathan Jones and Jack Jones to develop, I think is a worthy investment. And plus again, the seventh round, you cut him, there's no loss, but if you hit on a physical talent like this, that's massive. Okay. As I said, monster, Freaking mailbag and a lot more draft content and analysis. Patriots got uh, a, a overall grade of a B for me because you have to weight the first two picks much more heavily than the last ones. We ended with an A for Isaiah Bolden, Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty. But those picks don't mean as much as the ones you made in the first, second, and third rounds, and honestly, early fourth. So Mapu, C for me, Jake Andrews is C, and A for Kristen Gonzalez, BB plus for Keon White. That's largely how we got to the B. But after last year, after what seemed like a disaster, and so far is looking, yeah, okay, um, it's much, much better. Which leads us into our first question. Gary from Twitter wants to know, how concerned should Cole Strange be, 2022 first-round pick, with his starting job security after the draft? I don't think Cole Strange has anything to worry about. This is a guy that was benched twice last year, but rebounded down the stretch. You want to talk about athletes and traits. 
those didn't go anywhere. Okay. He needed to bulk up. He needed to get used to um, the level of competition he was facing versus being in Chattanooga. I would expect maybe not a year or two leap from Cole Strange, but the best of him certainly to come. And Mike Reese had a note today in his Sunday notes about, you know, he's changed his diet from just kind of favorite fast food hamburgers to more grilled chicken. If he adds 5, 10, 15 pounds and can still move like he can with that experience, we've seen the potential. Okay. Week two at Pittsburgh holding his own against Cam Hayward. It's there. So, yes, there's a lot of competition, but I would expect that to bring the best out of him more than it would um, make him lose his job. Los Patriots on Twitter. What is your in parentheses, very in parentheses, early day one offensive line projection. I don't see them rostering more than seven or eight for the season. So I'm interested to see what you think they'd release, uh, who you think they'd release. Thanks. Okay. I tweeted this mid, mid Saturday, somewhere in day three starters from left to right. Trent Brown, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Mike Unwenu, Riley Reef. That's the easy part. Calvin Anderson, I think he's making the team. He might start at right tackle. He's your swing guy. Jake Andrews, by virtue of just being their first day three pick, and again, portraits, um, experienced guy, but has a clear path to making the roster and had coaching from Cole Popovich, I think is your interior swing guy, specifically from center and right guard. And Antonio Mafi is the last one I would pick. That means City So is on the outside looking in. Either he gets cut or he makes the practice squad. All of this has yet to be realized. They won't put on pads and start hitting until – late July and early August. But for now, that's what I would make the picks. I think Mafia has a higher ceiling as a guy who recently converted positions versus playing six years in college, um, like Sal did. So we'll see. But that's my projection as of right now. Steve on Twitter has two questions, doubling them up. Do you think the Pats will try, City Sal, as I just mentioned, at tackle? Do you think Belichick's approach on drafting defense early is to try to keep the score low and grind out wins with ball control? Uh, for the second one about drafting defensive players first, no. I do think... Belichick envisions a way to win that most bypass here in the modern league, which is to win defensively and with special teams. I think the threshold, though, that you need to cross offensively is not 10 or 13 points anymore. It's probably 17 to 20 if you still want to win that way, because that's just the nature of the league. Um, I think as far as those players went, Christian Gonzalez, best available to them. Keon White, best available to them. And as we detail for a team that wanted to trade back, um, they thought Marte Mapu was the best player available to them. We'll get to that third round pick with a question a little bit later. As for the first one, they try Sal at tackle. Yes, I do think he gets a look. Uh, can we bank on that? Given the last time that he was doing that was 2018 and the Patriots were uh, en route to another Super Bowl. No. Lawrence D on Twitter. Do you, other teams use top 30 visits on players who go in the fourth through seventh round? Uh, yeah, because City Sal came in for a visit, uh, as did, I think, Antonio Mafi. So these guys saw other teams before they came to New England. There were players who went in the fourth or seventh round. I can't speak to any other draft classes right now and how their 30 visits went because uh, I was locked in on the Patriots and they took 12 guys. So that had all my attention. But yeah, it happens. And Marte Mapu, for what it's worth, because of his injury and because he played at a smaller school and wasn't invited to the combine, visited 15 teams, including the Patriots. And I guarantee... Some of those teams saw him as a fourth or fifth round pick. So there you go. Ryan is asking, the Patriots have basically 45 roster spots already locked up out of a possible 53. Ryan's got his own uh, roster projection. I do not yet, so I can't confirm that number. But he wants to know when is the last training camp you can remember where there were so few spots available for the 53. The answer would be 2019. Uh, coming off the Super Bowl, 
added some more veterans. There were really just precious few spots aside from wide receiver. Jacoby Myers makes the team. Gunnar Roshevsky makes the team. So it's really been that long, but there was good competition in that camp. So four years. Epri, E-P-R-I on Twitter is asking, the Patriots have, quote, uh, a roster void of high-end talent, yet are still making luxury picks like Mapu in the third round. I agree with that uh, description. <laughs> How many box safeties do they need? Uh, they're making picks like that when potential impact tight ends and wide receivers are available. In real time, who is the player on offense you would have liked the Patriots to draft? This is a great question because you have gas bags, like yours truly, when I'm on this podcast or radio TV, saying, oh, Mapu is a luxury pick. Okay, that's great. What would you have done instead? That's that's really what people deserve to know as opposed to just sitting back and criticizing. Two answers for you, one of which I've already said. I would have considered trading up for Alabama offensive lineman Tyler Steen, who went 65th to the Eagles, who I believe they traded it up for. I could have that wrong. It's uh, early in the third round. An extra fourth-round pick would have done that. They could have got, gone up and got him. Left tackle last year with Alabama. Um, before that, Vanderbilt, some positional flexibility. Bill O'Brien is very familiar with him. Perhaps Bill was not as high on Steen as a lot of us were here in the media, but I think he's a guy that at least gives you another body there at offensive tackle and had the prototypical size to do it. My other option would have been Tucker Kraft, a tight end at a South Dakota State who went two picks later. Another small school guy, but he drew interest from Alabama in the transfer portal before going back to play a senior season at South Dakota State. Uh, checks all the boxes from a physical standpoint, can block. You don't have a tight end right now who's an impact blocker. And again, or a tight end period who's under contract after this season. So Josh Downs went a few picks after him, receiver out of North Carolina that everyone on past Twitter seems to love. As I told you many, many, many times, the Patriots are higher on their pass catchers than the rest of us are on the outside. And they would not spend an early pick on a receiver and didn't. But if you want to take him there, no criticism for me and certainly would have been a big uh, w with Pat's Twitter. Okay. Uh, the first of two Jordans. Uh, Jordan one asked the white slash Mapu slash guard. I think he means Jake Andrews. There were a lot of guards. Picks seem redundant since those positions have solidified starters with uh, Josh Uche, Kyle Duggar, and Mike Onwani, respectively. Do these picks indicate they don't plan to resign those starters? If they do resign them, are these picks a wasted time? The shorter answer is no, because the Patriots, like we talked about at the opening, like the rest of us, don't know what the future holds. But they are absolutely insurance against losing a player like Josh Uche, who I think is going to cash in on free agency because of his sack production alone and the fact that he fits other schemes, maybe even a little bit better than he does here in New England. Kyle Duggar, another player who could cash in, especially with several GMs now across the league coming from the Patriots system. Uh, and Mike Onwenu. So the other part about this is the Patriots have a ton of cap space in 2024. Now, Mac Jones has a great season. He will be eligible for an extension. They could offer him a deal. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But either way, I don't think they're going in and saying, our best offensive lineman, who might be our second best offensive player, and a top two defender for us, Kyle Duggar, and maybe our best pure pass rusher, we don't want him anymore. Okay? But they understand their value in the open market might be such that they can't resign. So they draft ahead of time which as we noted on this podcast before is typically the draft strategy. So I wouldn't fear about that, but it's a way for them to hedge. Now, as far as the later picks, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, those guys get cut all the time. So the loss there is not as significant. Jake Andrews getting cut would be a disappointment because he was a top 110 uh, pick. But the guys who went after him, 
that's partly why you double up at that position. One doesn't work out. You have another one to back them up. And that's just been their position at offensive line is we'll have enough bodies here. And some of them should work out because as Macro noted on Saturday, you can't have enough good offensive linemen. Just ask the Eagles and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year. Jordan number two, Jordan Adams. Do you think Christian Gonzalez will fill an immediate, uh, that's not the verb you wanted, will be an immediate difference maker in coverage? And do you think faith in Bill O'Brien and the league as a whole being down on offense? I really should have edited this question before I put it down here. Uh, do you think faith in Bill O'Brien is the reason Belichick drafted defense high? Uh, no. I think, again, best player available. We just covered that. There is a lot of faith in Bill O'Brien to fix the offense almost by himself, though. As for Christian Gonzalez, yes, I think he's an immediate difference maker. He'll have to be. He's a bigger corner. They don't have any of those. And he's the most physically gifted, honestly, by far, of any of those players. Does that mean he's, you know, a ready-made product on week one? No. But I, I, I just – he was a consensus top 10 player in this draft, which even in a draft that had fewer blue-chip prospects than most – should be a difference maker. That's why you take him in the first round. Again, Matt Groh said this uh, to the media uh, a little over a week ago, closer to it. Corey's asking, what do you make of Belichick finally acknowledging Mac's existence again? And why now after the second night of the draft? Why now is because he was pressed by Greg Bedard, Boston Sports Journal, uh, and a very good line of questioning. Um, why, you know, acknowledging his existence? <laughs> Look, I, I'll just be honest. I am extremely tired of the Matt conversation. And you could listen to this and go, you're someone who's perpetuating it because you talk about it on TV and radio and podcasts and things like that. I think the Patriots are ready to move forward. I think Bill has taken longer to move forward than Mac. I think Bill put Mac in a bad position and Mac responded badly to it. All of this is history. Even the report about the Patriots supposedly shopping Mac Jones, which again, I cannot find anyone around the league who thought that he would be traded. And it was probably old news overstated. It's just ancient history. But it was notable that Bill said his feelings, allegedly, are not changed from last summer when he was highly complimentary of Mac. And that's probably going to be the top of any sort of praise he gives Mac because since last October, he has refused to call Mac the team's future at the quarterback position. And as of January, he's not even acknowledged him as a starting quarterback. So to say, yeah, I feel the same way. Even if it's BS... Is better than what Max got in the last six or so months. So they're moving forward. The draft is over. Let's just play football, please. Uh, okay, last one. Sox Nation. Could the Patriots be laying the groundwork for Marcus Jones to play more offense? I like this, considering how they drafted similar athletic-type defensive players that could play the slot corner position, Bolden and Mapu, in return kicks. Um, Bolden and Mapu are very different players though Mapu really wasn't called the overhang defender who's kind of um it's, it's more important in college because the hashes are wider which means when you're let's say on the left hash there's a lot more space to the right and that defender has to be able to both fill in against the run and play in space because there's more grass in the NFL the hashes are narrower so whether you're on the left or right doesn't make a ton of difference but when you spread them out it does now the slot corner typically a five foot nine five foot ten player extremely uh, smooth hips can flip around good change of direction skills uh, and is a sound tackler. Mapu is more of a linebacker than, than that. Now, as far as Marcus Jones playing offense, I'm all for Patriots, maybe the most dynamic ball carrier until we see players like Isaiah Bolin um, play more offense, but I don't see it. I think they feel like they've got enough now in offense trading out Jacoby Myers, 
for a more explosive Juju Smith-Schuster, John o. Smith for Mike Gesicki, taking Kayshawn Booty and Demario Douglas, who might not ever see the field in the regular season, but are natural offensive players. And now the Patriots don't have to resort to just running Marcus Jones and a little bubble screen and an RPO that they ran to death because they didn't have any other routes off of it and let him focus on being the nickelback of the future. Again, that five foot eight, five foot nine, five foot ten player, very good, smooth change of direction skills, and be the nickel while Jonathan Jones either stays at outside corner or moves back to free safety. So that's it. I went way longer than I thought I would. Those are our draft grades. A solid double in the gap. Absolutely fine for the Patriots. Uh, we will have more Patriots draft coverage with Danny Kelly of the Ringer middle of the next week. I think we're scheduled to record on a Wednesday. Um, so that should be out Thursday. Until then, uh, I'll have coverage of the Celtics. Game one against the Sixers on Monday. More podcasts to come. And then I am getting married at the end of next month, which is crazy to say out loud. Um, so we'll be taking a break upcoming here for the podcast. We'll keep you posted. This episode of the Pats Interference Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So we'll see you in a few days. Enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, we'll see you then with Danny Kelly on the ring.